Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. I am Matterall. I'm here with Dirk McGurk. How's it going, Dirk? Hey, good morning, Matterall. How are you? Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. That's right. This is New Year's Eve. We also have Elise Randolph for a bit. How's it going, Elise? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Happy New Year, everyone. And McLeod, our evergreen engineer. Hello. So, okay, so this is what we're doing today, and this is a special broadcast. It's the year-end show. We're closing out 2019. We're closing our first year as an independent group, uh, having our own station, running our own show. And we thought, I want to have a situation where we uh, just talk about EVE Online from, from memory with players that I like talking to and try to go back and put the decade into some kind of context. And we also want to highlight some players and then maybe pick the most influential player and most influential group and actually most influential event uh, later on in the show. First, I'll go with some stats. I just want to congratulate everybody at Talking In Stations that uh, has done so much over the years, uh, especially this year in 2019, where we put together uh, 96 official shows, including this one. That doesn't include the uh, the whole story, which uh, Exuki put together too. Um, the money show that we do, a lot of the specials that we did, and a lot of the CSM interviews that we did as well. So 96 is a, is a pretty big number. If we put it all together, it's over 150 shows in one year. In that time, our viewership has grown and grown and grown, and we reached about an average of 6,500 listeners per episode in 2019. That was about uh, September we hit that. That is a lot of content for a lot of people. If I calculate the hours, looking at the podcast, it's over 400,000, actually it's like 450,000 listens to Talking In Stations. And now it's time to put it all away. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're done. We did it. This is the last episode of Talking This is the very stations. last episode. Of <laughs> I am... I want to hit. I want to hit half a million. That would be amazing to say half a million, you know, listens in a year. Well, that's 2019. That 450,000. Uh, if we if we calculate all the podcasts, I think it goes way up. Very nice. Yeah. So it's a big number. Okay. So that's talking in stations. A uh, little bit of review. We're doing great. We have so much uh, that we're going to do in this next year. Uh, it's going to be very diversified. You're going to hear a lot of voices. We're literally going to become different voices talking in stations it's uh we'll be the station but we we'll hear, we'll hear a lot of different voices coming from every direction all right but we're at the end of the year but we're also at the end of the decade dirk you and i were talking about uh the 2010s well yeah i mean you know it was like when i was when i was looking to uh to uh I don't know, talk about some stuff the other night. I went and you know began to try and do a, you know a, a bit of work just just looking back because when you look at where this decade began, right? So January 1st, 2010, right? Um, it, it was very much right at the beginning of a number of changes that I think have translated, you know, you know, a lot over the course of this decade, right? But it's it, it's kind of nice to go back and look at, well, you know, where did we begin, right? We were only a we were less than a year out from the end of the Great War, right? Bob being, you know, basically disbanded, right? And the end of the Great War. You know, why can't I hear Matterall now? 
Oh, because I didn't push uh, the talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> never mind. Uh, you know, we're we're less than a year out from the introduction of wormholes. So wormholes hadn't become this settled thing. They did exist, but they'd been around for less than a year, um, you know, at that point. Just before the beginning of the decade, literally, you know, literally less than a month before the beginning of the decade kicked off is when we shifted over from uh, pause warfare for sovereignty, right, into the new Dominion sovereignty system, right, the inclusion of things like iHubs, the inclusion, uh, the changeover from motherships to supercarriers and the change to uh, you know, from an area of effect doomsday for Titans to to, you know, just the finger of death or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, so, I mean, we we had a number of things at that time that were shifting substantially in the game, um, you know, as well as just the overall sort of transition. And, you know, it, you know, Elise would probably be able to speak to kind of, you know, really what was going on out there at a higher level, you know, because of those changes. But I mean, it, it was it was a pretty uh, a significant time for, for, you know, to begin what is now, you know, this decade. So, yeah, if you, if you look at the beginning of the, the decade, it's kind of like this, it's this really bizarre foreign thing, but it's also kind of looks very familiar to what it's like now. So as Dirk was saying, like all the big war was over, right? The, the band of brothers versus the Northern forces, uh, that huge forever hell war is over. Uh, at the start of the decade, you also have a cartoon disbanding a uh, goon fleet. Yep. Um, and so the, they don't exist. They're living in Declan on Tau Ceti Federation, which is a f- predominantly French alliance. Goons are living without Sov in Declan on TCF's couch. Or even They're not a power that, player at all. Sorry, Elise, but even before that, right, right after they get messed up, they almost call it quits, but they end up in syndicate where they're getting beat up by small groups. Like little alliances were beating up Goon Swarm. Uh, at that time, they were called something else, some ridiculously long name that I don't remember. Uh, Solar Drac Band. Uh, so it was actually Solar Drac Band, Solar Drac, because I couldn't fit Solar Drac Band again. Solar Drac Band was the uh, the IT guy for the Goonsworm guys, and they they voted on an alliance name uh, just to meme, and because they were funny guys, uh, they decided to go for Solar Drac Band. And yeah, they were living in Cloud Ring and Outer Ring and Syndicate uh, and getting beat up. Uh, Colonel Freeze, which is a uh, he went on to do quite a few big things. Back then, he was in uh, solo drag band slash goon swarm, and he was leading a campaign there to, to like very little success. People didn't want to log in. Uh, you know, Atlas still existed against all authority. AAA still existed uh, over there in drones. You had X Death and Solar Fleet who were still friends, uh, and the North was like this big, huge group that was by many considered to be too big to fall. Uh, and you have IT Alliance slowly rebuilding in Delve, uh, and they're going to go on to do some things uh, for a while. But yeah, the map seems, it's like, so the map is split up in this north-south thing, where the people in the north are friends with people, or are forever enemies with the people in the south, um, which kind of kind of reminiscent of exactly what it's like today. <laughs> you know, and one of the other kind of like, uh, I'll call it mechanical things that, that, 
was was different yet about to change at that time, right? Was okay. So the player outposts, right? What we called player stations and things like that, right? Um, we hadn't gone through the expansion of those things. Like you could you, you could build these things, but they were difficult. Um, it was it was really hard to kind of move the you know move what you needed to move out there and freighters and things like that. Um, you know, because it was still ahead. We still had a few months to go before the Tyrannus expansion hit where planetary action, planetary interaction was introduced. So, I mean, uh, you know, again, the, the number of things that were wholesale different at that time versus kind of what we've seen iterated on since then is, 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 is really significant. I can speak to at least my personal history, because this is kind of when, uh, I, as a player, start taking a bigger role in EVE Online. I'm out of college, so I can spend a or I'm in an area in college where I can goof around quite a lot more, I should say. Uh, so I have more free time. The decade from or 2010 starts for me uh, with PL, PL kicking my corp uh, out of the Alliance. Uh, Shadu is nowhere to be found uh, after the, the war in the South where they defeat Band of Brothers. Well, he wasn't uh, born yet? or he was, oh, No, Shadu is, is taking a break. And so Shadu is just gone. Uh, and so for PL, you know, it seems like all is lost. We lost Fountain to IT Alliance coming back. Uh, I get kicked out. I joined some group called Cry Havoc. Yeah, I remember them. Uh, and I start to FC and do stuff like that. But the, the big pivotal moment is the people in the north, this powerhouse that's seen as too big to fall, they start looking over to their, to their right and they see this, this group of uh, Russians and they say, hey, you know, this is going to be quite a lot of fun. Uh, let's just go lead some uh, some fleets into their space and uh, start attacking them. Because, you know, it's just content, easy content uh, right, right on our doorstep. So it's easy to get access. Uh, and this sets the stage for what would then be like the beginning of the decade, like the new huge fight that would go on to establish dozens of groups Um it's actually a huge turning point in EVE Online, the, the like ripples of which we can still see uh, coming today. And I'm sure there's other stuff that happened. But for me, that's like that's the big bad. And that happens around 2011, 2012. Uh, are we talking about the Northern Coalition versus Drone Russian Federation work? Yeah, this starts at the beginning of the decade when uh, like a junior FC from Morsis Mihi goes over to LXQ and starts taking space. Was that Ratsalat? Who was that? I can't remember his name. It's not Rad, but it was someone else. I've been struggling to remember his name for such a long time. But uh, so a guy, a junior guy, a junior guy goes over there and starts messing with the drones, and this becomes like a catalyst. And th and this was one of the things I was kind of looking at when I was going to do my look back and kind of where it began, because my recollection of the first half of this decade was basically a, a uh, ongoing series of, of what at that time were, were fairly significant conflicts. We're not saying that they were completely global in scale, like, you know, like the Great War, but um, you know, these were some fairly substantial conflicts that were taking place. And it basically began in about September of 2010, I think it was, with, with uh, what was going on with the Northern Coalition, the coalition, right, um, versus the Drone Russian Federation, guys like, you know, Raiden, White Noise, and Legion of X-Death, Shadow of X-Death, that whole group, right? When we talk about capital fights, right, over the course of the next couple of years, 
this was substantial at that time. I mean, that group from the Drone Russian Federation, what they were fielding out there at the time in terms of Supers and Titans was, I mean, it was scary. And at least, I mean, you would, again, you know, have better recollection of it, but it was, it was not something I think that we had seen before in that kind of mass numbers. Yeah, so so when the uh, NC, which it's not Northern Coalition, thought that we talk about now, there that name actually comes as a like a mockery of the coalition that used to live in the north, uh, and they used to be the the biggest baddest group, too big to fall, all that, um, led by Vuklau. So you know that's a name that people probably remember from the first decade of Eve Online. So they attack the drones, uh, and then the drone people get together and they say, "Wow." Uh, you know, our way of life is you know, in danger. We have to put aside our differences uh, and fight together in order to survive. And the entire Russian time zone <laughs> comes together and they lick eyes south where Atlas Alliance lives. Bobby Atlas, one of the uh, most charismatic leaders Eve Online has ever seen. Uh, famously, uh, Eve, uh, Elo Knight is a disciple of Bobby Atlas. Uh, if you look at his... Bobby Atlas is like FC tree. You'll see quite a few big names there. So the drones look south and they say, "Okay, let's go. Let's go take Atlas space. You know, let's let's get our let's get our allies and, and comrades some space where they can live and, and make some money." So they look south. They decimate Atlas Alliance. This massive alliance that seems like they're just like this uh, powerhouse of FCs and pilots. And they're helped out by uh, a little alliance called Pandemic Legion, who's <laughs> trying to make a name for themselves as mercenaries. This is their second mercenary contract. Uh, by now, Shadu has returned, and he's uh, he's brought with him Ahax, which we kind of theory crafted, uh, and we we use those Ahax to just beat out Atlas Alliance. And of course, we use the might of the the Russians. So the Russians would alarm clock come on in and, and beat Atlas in cr- crucial fights. And so that was from like 2010 to 2011. And so then more of the Russian alliances take some space, take a lot of uh, assets down there and start making money. And unbeknownst to the rest of New Eden, uh, Legion of Exeth had been sitting in drone lands, this area of space that everyone thought was shit because at the time, the NPCs were rogue drones that had no bounty on them and all they did was drop these minerals. So the Legion of X-Death, uh, UAX-Death himself, uh, put the plan together and said, hey, you know, this space isn't worthless. I'm going to take my people here. We're going to put on a lot of outposts. We're going to put a modest tax on it. And everyone that comes in here to live with us and other people that we'll invite, they don't have to pay anything, but they do have to pay this tax when they refine all of their uh, NPC dropping. So, and those turn into minerals. So X-Death had just gajillions of minerals lying around and they turned those silently <laughs> into super caps and capitals. Yeah. I mean, when I first began Eve, um, after, after a little bit of time and then, uh, well, no, actually the first place I went into was out in the, was out in the drone regions, um, as part of, uh, intrepid crossing actually. And they held space out there along with uh, Ethereal Dawn and some others, right? But there was still a heavy Russian pres- presence out there. That entire east out there, uh, 
you know, basically the overlords of it, you know, were the Russians in terms of in terms of Solar Fleet and Red Alliance and Legion of X Death and uh, Le Legion came out Legion came out of Red Legion of X Death. I think so. I think they all started in Curse, then Red came out, and then uh, Legion of X Death was a break off of Red Alliance. Yeah, so there was a there was a heavy Russian presence out there, and then of course, yes, as somebody out there said, you know, basically the 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 rise of the rental empire, right? When you think back to sort of you know the the origins of of substantial rental empires, um, that that drone regions area and some places south of there, um, you know, were really the origins, um, you know, uh, of the big rental empire, which you know will you know will come back later in uh, later in the decade in various ways, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, they had big control. And again, you know, you go back to the prior decade, right, you know, where where the Russians of, of the East, you know, in, you know, were working, you know, with the fledgling goons and things like that. So they were, you know, they were they were a huge power out there. But yeah, but the the, the difference in terms of, you know, kind of like, you know, the drone poo, right, the drone alloys and things like that, right, um, um, which only got better actually in years ahead than than they had been at that time uh really provided for a lot of that gun mining that led to you know the ability to yeah build a lot of capitals and supers yeah so so gun mining is when you shoot these drones you actually get the minerals and so that's why it was mining but you were getting minerals but you're mining them out of drones not out of rocks with uh, mining lasers Another crucial thing that happened that a lot of people forget is um, so at the time that uh, a lot of the well, all of the T2 production uh, came from money moons, more or less. So you would have to harvest resources from moons um, and the choke point of those minerals uh, previously was Promethium Dysprosium. And there was a lot of prom and dispro in Fountain, in Delve, that entire area. The south seemed to have quite a lot of it. And the north I mean, they had some, but not nearly as much. Uh, that moved over to Technetium. Uh, CCP made some adjustments, said, hey, you know, Prom and Despro, uh, they're still going to be useful, but Technetium is now the, you know, that choke point or that uh, that crucial element that you need. And the North was full of it. Uh, the North had, had a disproportionate amount of Technetium for some reason or another. And so the group that was living in the North, the Northern Coalition, uh, they were getting so, so rich. So at the time, they just seemed, not only did they have the biggest capital fleet, the biggest super capital fleet, all of the FCs you can imagine, like all of the big named FCs were in the Northern Coalition. Uh, they had it all, and they even had this cash of money that was just floating into them. So when we talk about when the Northern Coalition went and shot the Legion, uh, shot the Russians, actually shot Legion of X Death Space, um, which polarized the Russians to, to fight back and, you know, become a, a big group. Uh, these Russians really thought that they were going to die horribly. So in 2011, they start their counteroffensive uh, and they, they hire three groups to work with them. So they hire Evoke, which is a largely Russian group. They hire Pandemic Legion and they hire Vince Draken's new group because Vince Draken used to be in Tri. Um, and a little bit in PL, but mostly try uh, their new group who named themselves after a meme, Northern Coalition Dot. So he went, uh, X Death went to these three groups and said, Hey, we're going to be fighting uh, in this area in Geminate, and we're going to just push through the north. Uh, what you, what we want you to do is we want you to soften up the back, 
and you can take as many money moons as you want and you can keep them forever. Uh, so you're talking about just Venal itself, which is an NPC area, had 90 of these money moons that would make 5 billion isk to 10 billion isk a month each. So they said, okay, you guys just go out. You can be independent. You can shoot us if you want. We don't care. Just take these moons from our enemy and create some chaos in the back lines. So when we fight them, uh, they have to you know, make a decision. And so that was the tactic. Um, and then every once in a while for big timers, it's, hey, you know, you have to come and help us, yada, yada, yada. But that's when the DRF, the Drone Russian Federation, really started in earnest to, to make their moves into the, this unbeatable foe of the Northern Coalition. And it took like eight months of fighting, uh, but they finally did it. They, they finally pushed over uh, and kind of crucially stopped right where Declan uh, begins, which is now a uh, Goonswarm Federation space and Goonswarm. Talk about what happened with Goonswarm and the couch they were sleeping on with Tau Seti. Yeah, so Goonswarm were chilling with TCF uh, in Declan. TCF gave them a couch to lay on. Uh, then TCF kind of folded up. They said, hey, we, we don't really need this anymore. Uh, so Goonswarm ended up taking over uh, Declan. And this is where the Mitanni also starts uh, becomes the leader of Goonswarm. He sets, uh, you know, some pretty, uh, I don't want to say strict rules, but he, you know, throws some organization into these hapless dudes who are just kind of goofing around and he makes them uh, an actual powerhouse uh, with Mr. V, who is one of the EVE's online, EVE Online's, if you're going to have a power ranking of best FCs the game has ever seen, I think everyone would have Mr. V somewhere in the top three, uh, but he was, he was in uh, Goonswarm, so they had a lot of, uh, might behind him. So they settled in Declan. They gave a little bit of space to some hapless guys from Reddit called Test Alliance, who we'll see later. Um, but Goonstorm Federation chills in Declan uh, and it gets becomes like this really hard-nosed PvP group as well. They decide that while the rest of the game were flying whatever they wanted to. So Morsis Mihi, if you called for a, a fleet, you would call for... Um, like armor battleships. Someone could take a Dominic, someone could take a Megathron, someone could take uh, whatever the hell they in APOC. It didn't matter. They didn't care. Um, but Goonswarm at the time said, hey, we're going to copy these smaller guys, these like PLs of the world, and we're going to make all of our line members fly Maelstroms. We're going to make them have this cohesive doctrine to fly, which was unheard of at the time uh, for a large alliance. But Goonswarm starts growing. And uh, they start helping out their their Northern Coalition friends, or uh, yeah, their their friends in the Northern Coalition. But you know, they don't fully commit because they didn't really like the way uh, Northern Coalition was going. They they were part of the Northern Coalition, and they could see the writing on the wall that these guys uh, were probably going to fall. That these guys were bloated beyond belief. That people were you know stealing assets from one another. Uh, so Goonswarm help their allies, but also distance themselves at the same time, which uh, is a masterstroke from the Mitanni, uh, probably his first like diplomatic masterstroke. Yeah, because they they didn't really commit into some of the larger battles up there that were kind of consequential, right? And and they certainly didn't commit on necessarily the capital side of the you know of the equation, I don't think in 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 anything. But and it was weird, right? Because you know they were up there, they were on the couch, they were fundamentally part of the Northern Coalition, but then the Northern Coalition sort of gets rolled while they are the benef while they are one of the beneficiaries of it in the end. 
Yeah. So if we fast forward a little bit, like no one really cares about the fighting of a, a thing that happened 10 years ago, except for probably me. I, this is where I become an <laughs> FC and, and I love it. Like I'm in every single fight. It's, it's amazing. This is the, this is the golden era of Eve online for me personally. There was some so, good fighting though. You can't ignore that. Those, the fights were, this is before tie-dye, I believe. Yeah. This is before tie-dye existed. Uh, there were just some, some clowny things. Uh, the biggest fight ever happens in MTAC O. Uh, which, you know, the, the leader of the MC just says, ah, screw it. We're jumping in anyways. Uh, they, they black screen. Madness happens. Uh, there are hundreds of, ex- or t- dozens of examples where Super Capital Fleet gets caught dead to rights and they all just have to log off in shame. But the TLDR <laughs> is the DRF, with the help of Eve Oak, Northern Coalition Dot, and Pandemic Legion, uh, they take everything in the North has. They crush everything they've had Morsis Mihi, this, this group that's been around since beta, is in shambles. Razor, this group that's been around since Razor, uh, since beta, has, is in shambles. Majesta collapses. Um, all of these groups are just gone. And crucially, <laughs> they stop at the border to Declan. Um, they say, okay, we're turning off our war machine. Uh, PL, NC.Evoke, if you want to keep going, sure, but we're not going to help you. So white noise settles in... Uh, like Tinal and that area. Uh, and Legion of Exeth says, okay, well, we took all this space. We don't want it. We're, push- we're pulling back to our own borders and we're leaving this glassed wasteland to whoever wants it. Um, so, you know, PL and CDOT, they, they have a bunch of money moons here now. So they uh, settle here in some aspects and continue poking Goonswarm. Uh, but Goonswarm comes back. Uh, PL makes, and this is my first campaign ever. Uh, that gets hijacked from me because I'm too junior. So oh. it gets hijacked from me, and we dis, uh, the groups decide to go into Declan and finish Goonswarm off once and for all. So they go into Declan, they go to VFK, uh, and they try to headshot VFK's system. And this is this is where goons sound the the horn of Goondor come back, have this like week long hell camp of the area with like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people online 23 hours a day to make sure that vfk to make sure matani grad does not fall and so in the back of matani grad <laughs> exactly so uh plnc dot all them they fail they leave they say you know what whatever we're gonna stick in venal with our money moons uh screw fighting these goons it's not fun uh they rescue all of their super caps uh they kill two supers on the way out they smug uh, and so Goonswarm is now sitting in the north with this huge power vacuum to their right, uh, with these annoying mercenaries sitting in NPC space that they cannot evict, uh, and just just shambles town all over the place. So they say, you know what? This is a real clusterfuck. Let's make a coalition. Let's start the coalition ourselves, and they're going to call it the Clusterfuck Coalition, the CFC. So they pick up the pieces of every group that died, they they say, "Hey, um, you can come. We can you can live in the north together with us. We'll provide the military might and we'll integrate you as best as we can. But it's not going to be like life in the north uh, that you remember. It's going to be life in the north on our terms. It's going to be you know, like friendly. We're going to treat you guys as equals. But you can't goof around. You can't have these weird power plays. Uh, you can't." <laughs> take money from one another. You can't have bickering. We're going to do this together. And so this is the the foundations 
of what becomes EVE Online, like the next decade's uh, huge power group. And there's a little nascent group in this uh, that's under this umbrella of uh, organization called Test Alliance that's being born around this time. Exactly, yeah. So Test Alliance, they've been living in uh, an area of Declan that Goonswarm has, you know, given them. It's their couch. Um, Goonswarm had been the recipient of uh, a couch to sleep on before. So they give this little area of space to Test Alliance called the Testogram. Uh, <laughs> If you look at the just the the way it lays out, it kind of it's a pentagram, so they called it the testogram. And so during this thing, Tess says, "Well, you know, this is great. We like being part of the CFC, but we want something more." Uh, so I, I believe it's Montolio at the time that leading Test Alliance. They mm-hmm. break off from Goonswarm's couch and uh, they take this other space further to the south uh, in Fountain. And so they're like, okay, well, we're kind of CFC, but we're kind of our own independent group as well. We're friendly with you guys and Goonswarm, but we're also ha- we all we also want our own space in Fountain. So Tappy uh, at the time take Fountain. Hold on, let me let me insert at the at the same time the Northern War is happening. We're going to go back a little bit to what's going on in the South, and uh, there are some groups trying to take Sov with AAA's help and Pandemic Legions on contract too to help usher in some people in the Scalding Pass and these. Uh, kind of what you call them beginner areas like scalding pass and yeah it's space that like nobody has very little value to most people so like people don't necessarily want it but yeah before we get that far ahead i just want to back up a little bit because i I want at least to put a little bit of color on somebody who was highly active at the time i think it's a name that has has come up a lot the the influence of vile rat at that time not just necessarily within goons or the cfc but kind of what he helped to uh, form on a broader basis. Can you, can you speak to that at all? So I was on the CSM with Vile Rat, CSM 6. So it was uh, the Batani as the, the chair of the CSM. Um, I believe Celine there, Celine maybe came the next year. Um, anyways, Vile Rat was there. That was my first uh, introduction to him. And he introduced himself as the CFC's head diplomat. I was like, okay, what does that mean? So I spoke to him at length a lot of times in, in CSM channels, because that's kind of what you do in the CSM, at least at the time. Um, and he was like, you know, so all these little pieces together, um, all these little hapless little groups, I bring them together and I settle all the disputes um, that they have. So he, like, I gave the credit to the Mitani early because I believe it was probably his idea, but Vile Rat was the guy on the ground that made it happen, that made the CFC uh function on a day-to-day level uh he wasn't alone obviously there are there are people with him that helped but he was the the main driving force behind settling diplomatic disputes and making sure that people were on the same page uh in this thing called the cfc but now it it also went beyond the cfc right like there was there was sort of at this time an expansion of let's call it you know diplomatic uh um you know machinery put in place out there even more broadly, right? Across to, you know, both uh, neutrals as well as, you know, enemies alike, right? There, there was sort of a, let's call it a back room. Yeah, so um, and we actually talked about it a little bit on, on our Sunday show. So there was uh, a channel after the, the war in the South happened that Goonswarm hosted called Jabberlon 5. And Jabberlon was a Jabber group with all of the, uh, like, 
uh, FCs and, and main main like uh, movers and shakers from all over EVE. And they were all in this one Goon Swarm hosted uh, Jabber channel. So there was like this, this constant dialogue running between uh, Goon Swarm and just FCs from all these groups. So you have uh, this diplomatic situation where Goon Swarm are what's left over from the old Northern Coalition. They're picking up the pieces and they're also, excuse me, they're also friends with, in in a way, a lot of FCs from Pandemic Legion, a lot of FCs from uh, groups like Northern Coalition, a lot of FCs from the, the South, a lot of FCs from the Legion of XDEF. Um, and so they kind of create this uh, system where... I don't want to call it the United Nations, but... Well, well it's, it's based it's, on Babylon 5, the TV show, right? Which is... Yeah. This- a station where everybody can meet. It's like neutral ground. Exactly, exactly. So it's Goonswarm kind of paint themselves as the the main political movers and shakers, and they also put themselves in a situation where no one really wants to attack them, right? Um, they come up with interesting ways to do this. So they say, "Hey, PL, you're living in Venal. Um, we won't touch these ninety money moons that we want if you don't touch any of our stuff." And we're like, "Okay, sounds fair. I like that." Uh, and so you have these these adversaries that aren't really adversaries, uh, in a sense. And, and this is like the, the main... Exactly. This is uh, kind of, as much as people dislike it, but this is kind of like the main driving force uh, in how EVE Online NullSec blocks operate throughout the rest of the decade, um, where you know they might have wars between one another, but there are also agreements put in place uh, and diplomatic ties where these groups don't necessarily want to kill each other at the same time. So they have uh, something going in on the side. So now in in kind of the aftermath of the DRF Northern Coalition War in the North, and then some of what falls out from that. Also in 2011, you've got what, what became known as the Delve Thunderdome, right? It was sort of this just, I don't want to call it open area, but it was definitely being fought for by a number of people. I was looking at, and I was looking back on, on, on this a bit. And, and one of the things that just sort of struck me was um, 2011 alpha stars, alpha star pilots name comes up and I go, Oh my God, what was, was he like 10 at that time? And he was like, I think he was 13. And I remember yeah. being on his fleet talking like this. Yeah. He had this like, really, he was just a super young kid. I mean, names like you know, Nully Secunda, Cascade Imminent. Arch- Archibald Hornsby was Cascade Imminent, wasn't he? I was trying to remember before. Uh, I think it's Manfred Sidious was uh, one of the main. Was he groups. also there? Yeah, I think he he actually, I think he named uh, the Alliance. Lucian James. Yeah, but, but anyways, so you've got you've got this big thing going on down there, right? You know, that, that goes on for a while as people are just sort of slugging it out for, for uh, and I think a number of these people are ones that kind of fell out from elsewhere, right? Hold on. Before we get to Thunderdome, I did want to hit the South, though, because we've been talking about goons and, and everybody in the North. But in the, in the South, around the same time this is happening. The initiative, actually, this is kind of one of the, the first areas where the initiative uh, starts. The initiative, to, to by the way, is, is a smaller alliance that's under the umbrella or the, their pets, basically, to IT Alliance, which is former Band of Brothers. But go ahead. So the initiative, um, after IT falls and after... Goonswarm create this CFC, start making the CFC in the north. And after, you know, they, they didn't play that big of a role. And 
uh, not to dismiss them, but they didn't play like a huge role in the DRF versus NC fight. Um, but what they did do after the fact is they said, hey, you know, what? we want some content. We, we want to get some uh, FCs, some experience, because at the time they were pretty small. Uh, and they start talking or they start taking AAA space. Uh, they start taking space in catch. They start fighting CBA a little bit. But their their big goal is to, to fight AAA. And so it starts this kind of little war in the South that goes on um, that more and more people get involved with. AAA lose space. They retreat to Stain. They come back. They take initiative space. Initiative takes it again. Initi- uh, AAA comes back again. But it creates this like little hotbed of action in the South where where all eyes are, are kind of focused. Yeah, there's a lot of turnover going on there. I think PL's on contract helping usher in groups like Initiative. GigX is there with CO2. Yeah, PL is on contract to, to help the Initiative, uh, mostly just to fight uh, AAA because uh, the DRF, uh, there are united Russians with the exception of AAA. Uh, AAA said, ah, you guys suck. We don't want anything to do with you. Uh, and there's actually like, I'm sure within the Russian community, people can attest to this a little bit more, but there's, this is kind of the start of a, a huge, uh, Russian split and divide, uh, that starts with AAA, but yeah, so, so PL gets the contract to, to work in the South and push out AAA. Um, and then we, we say, Hey, we look over to, to Dell, which is mostly, uh, unaffiliated space. And, and this is what, uh, Dirk was getting into. Right. The Dell Thunderdome. You- Right before you get into that, you had um, Red Overlord was uh, down there with the Stain Wagon Group too. Is there anything notable about Red Overlord? Didn't they have like a? So they're like a they're a storied alliance that split off from from other Russian groups, uh, and this is this is where they they try and make their name again. They say, hey, you know what? Uh, just like AAA, we're gonna they ally with AAA, and they eventually call themselves the Stain Wagon because they all kind of base and stain. They say, hey, you know what? We're going to uh, to work with these guys in AAA, and we're going to get back our, our former glory. Uh, and we're going to start by taking areas of Delve that are mostly just inhabited by by small groups of players. Um, there's Cascade Eminent, who are pets of AAA. There's Nelly Secunda, who are pets of AAA. Um, but there's like a diplomatic breakdown and uh, Red Overlords say, hey, you know what? We're going we're gonna to start taking some of this space from these guys. Right. So this is when Nelly Segunda is born and you have this uh, new FC called Pro God Legend, who's their key FC. So Pro God Legend is their U.S. time zone force. Um, and then there's a guy uh, who moved over from Evoke uh, named Killaby, who is their lead FC in the U- EU time zone. And his name uh, will kind of uh, appear over and over again through the rest of the decade. Well, at this time, Killaby's actually in, in Black Legion, I think. He wasn't in Nully at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, he comes, I think he comes a little bit later. So it's mostly Pro-God. There's a few FCs that people haven't heard of. Uh, there was one other counterpart that he had that was kind of the Cap FC, and I forgot his name. Sorry, he's a Texan guy, and he's very slow talking. But yeah, so they end up starting this new venture in Elisa Gunda and they end up in Delve because Delve's given to them by AAA. But it turns out Delve is going to become a very crowded space and it's going to become a, an arena to just fight, fight, fight like crazy. And PL is going to be in there and later Morsus Mihi as their refugees from the north. But go ahead. 
So yeah, uh, we can do a little quick TLDR. The, I might have. There are two areas. There are two times within like a two-year period where Delve becomes like this hotbed of of action. Um, but in this first one, which is like towards the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, um, there's a lot of fighting going on in Delve. And Test Alliance, living in Fountain at the time, say, "Hey, uh, let's go do stuff on our own. Let, let's go. Let's go fight down here." And have some fun. We don't need to be part of. Uh, we can be independent of CFC. Uh, we can be our own dudes, and, and we can grow. So uh, they team up with Pandemic Legion and some other groups, and together they start fighting in Delve, and they start pushing out the people that are there. Uh, at the time, the meta in Eve Online is to fly Drakes all the time. Um, Pandemic Real uh, Legion becomes the first group to realize that. Hey, these nerfed titans, if you put uh, dread guns on them and all tracking mods, uh, you can two-shot drakes. So that's what PL starts to do. Uh, <laughs> they fly Abaddon's and uh, uh, Blap Titans, and they Blap start titans. Just, just killing 600 drakes a day, which sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. It, it, there were actually like 600 drake kills on a single Saturday and Sunday every week for like two months i just want to back up a little bit because because isn't the original delve thunderdome more in the 2011 uh i, I yeah to like 2011 period um i don't think so but maybe i was living I mean, there there are a few I times thought, where i thought it happened before the I thought it happened before the the Russian Civil War, where that stuff was going, because it was in the it was almost part of the fallout of of what had happened in the north, and then sort of some of the other skirmishing going on. You're right. What happened was that it was a it was a a place given to Nelly Segunda. Nelly Segunda had most of it, and they were farming really well because this certain sanctum was broken, and so they were farming like crazy. And so uh, then. I think what happened is Morsus Mihi came down and uh, other groups came down to fight because it was kind of fun to fight. And I think that's actually where ProGuard was maybe at his best. He was like a star quarterback. He was just, we were doing really, really well against PL, which is unusual. Uh, but then you had like Morsus Mihi come down and they didn't last very long. Like they couldn't get it, get anything going. And then a bit later you have Red Alliance is given half of Delve by AAA. And that's where you have a real war between Red Alliance and um, Nelly Segunda over Delve. And that gets interrupted by Test, who comes down and starts uh, fighting in there as well. And Test so is the cool. The reason that there's, we get so confused about what happens in Delve is because there's this massive power vacuum in an area of space that's incredibly valuable um, and also close to Empire and also has NPC systems that you can stage out of. So invaders can go to a system like 319 um, or PR TAC and live in there and stage an offensive campaign without holding any solve. You can't kick people out. There's really nothing you can do apart from hoarding all of the um, NPC offices. But there's always going to be someone that has an office for rent that they can kind of uh, horse trade with with another group. So that's why uh, Delve is this, this hotbed of action. It's a combination of uh, a lot of a lot of things that that happen, but uh, in this time between around 2012 2013, uh, PL are fighting in there. They invite some SIGs from Test Alliance to come down. Um, they call themselves a Zulu Squad, I believe. So Zulu Squad starts having quite a lot of fun. Um, Who and, were those guys? Because they were really good, unexpectedly. Uh, they were just groups that were in Test Alliance. Um, oh, okay. 
uh, they had their own little SIGs and Zulu came out, started taking some areas and said, hey, guys, this is what EVE Online is all about. Um, and so with PL at leading the fleets and you know coming up with a lot of the strategy and Test Alliance providing the bulk of the membership, it's like a match made in heaven between these two groups because um, Test Alliance was very inexperienced in terms of FCs. Uh, PL had a limitation on how many people they could bring, so they were often getting blobbed by uh, Nully, Cascade, and AAA when they would come down. So you know that it's just a match made in heaven. And during the summer, uh, Test Alliance just makes a lot of pushes and eventually takes all of Delvin Quirius and period bases. <laughs> yeah, so sad. Uh, so they just, just just roll through the region, and and Test is now feeling pretty high on the swagger. You know, they're getting more and more members in their alliance. Um, their FCs are getting a lot of experience. They're coming up with doctrines that they love. Um, they're flying rokes. Uh, there's can't stop the roke memes. Uh, all of these, you know, cultural things come out of Test Alliance, and and this is re- really where they start booming. You know, the other thing that happened back during that time, Elise, and, it, and, and I just remember it because it's the first time I met you, but um, was was the Russian Civil War happened and kind of broke apart that entire Russian behemoth out there as, you know, I don't know, solar accused legion of something. And the next thing you know, they're going they're going to war with one another. And then, you know, legion basically uh, legion of X death basically uh, hires pandemic legion to come in on their side. And uh, that's where I met you because I basically, the UAX death had me go and I was a renter at the time. Uh, UAX death had me go and he's like, he's like, we need to buy isotopes for them. I go, okay. And he goes, I need you to go get isotopes for them. <laughs> it's like, I had to like do like 40 freaking round trips to empire to like buy buy isotopes to come down and fuel. And, and it was the first time I ever saw a super capital fleet like that. And I'm just in somewhere on my computer. I still have an image of it from that day, but it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild to, uh, to see that. Cause I was just, you know, like this fucking nobody, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, what you're talking about is it's incredibly important too. And this is where, uh, the relationship between test and PL sours for the first time. Um, it, it wouldn't be the last time that this sours, they become friends again, but after test, with the help of PL and some other people, uh, after they take over uh, Delve, uh, there's a guy from uh, Legion of X Death, a director, that steals using an alt, uh, allegedly steals trillions of isk worth of stuff from Solar Fleet, and then takes refuge in a Legion of X Death um, corp. And then so- MacTap of Solar Fleet goes over to UAX Death, and he says, "Hey." Uh, this guy screwed me over. Can you kick him out? Um, or at least give me myself back. And X Death goes, eh, nah. <laughs> Just how about nah? Uh, and then Solar Fleet goes, oh, that's interesting. Okay, you're going to die now. Uh, and so the, the makeup of the DRF at the time was um, Solar Fleet were very much the muscle. And Legion of X Death were very much the industry behind it and the the manpower. So when the military turns on the industry, uh, you can probably guess how that goes. And Solar Fleet just wipes the floor <laughs> with X Death. Uh, X Death approaches PL because he has this great relationship with us. He gave a uh, PL our, our first big contracts, made us 
gajillions worth of money by giving us money, moons, and venal. And he says, hey, um, could use a hand uh, up here. So we leave Test and Delve and say, okay, this was fun. Good luck doing whatever you're doing. Uh, we're going over to Drone Lands and we brawl for what feels like battleship brawls every day where each side's losing hundreds of battleships. Um, and we go and fight and eventually end up with a lot of space um, in drone lands. And so we're like, ah, oh, shit, what are we going to do with all this space in drones? Uh, at the time, Northern Coalition uh, and Evoke have been kicked out of uh, the North that they had before. And the CFC has grown massive. They've taken over uh, Geminate, the Vale, uh, Tribute, all the areas where there was like this vacuum before. The CFC and Goonswarm have filled it completely. Um, and so Pandemic Legion and, and Northern Coalition Dot, they say, hey, uh, there's this drone land space that we just kind of accidentally found ourselves in. Well, hold Legion on a second. Excess don't want everything. Hold on a second. You hadn't actually found yourself there yet because at the end of the Russian Civil War, Solar Fleet had won and had basically laid claim to the majority of drone land space out there. And there were a bunch of fragmented nobody alliances that came in there. And then shortly thereafter, we began to be visited by people like <laughs> Pandemic Legion and, and NC Dot for, for what we thought was just some incursions at first, okay? But then basically it eventually, you know, like they were trying to tease out the fights as best they could and things like that, okay? This is also when Elo Knight was hired in by Solar uh, to to kind of take a, uh, I don't know, Green Beret kind of <laughs> kind of thing of the indigenous peoples that were living there. Elo and the Myrmidons, right? That were on the English-speaking side um, that had kind of repopulated uh, Ethereum Reach, Malpais, Kalevala Expanse, all right, under the auspices of, of MacTep and Solar Fleet, right? And then NC Dot and PL came in there and they began hitting stuff and they were trying to tease out the fights and all that. Um, and I think they got as many fights as they probably were going to before some of us realized, whoa, I'm just getting farmed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then they ended up taking over the area to their that then eventually became their their uh, new rental empire. By the way, I say uh, Elo and the Myrmidons because I'm comparing him to Achilles, not uh, Myrmidon the ship, but Achilles and his <laughs> yeah. basically. So when we accidentally that area of space, as Dirk uh, mentioned, uh, we have just these swaths of space. And we're like, what are we going to do with this? Um, and so we decided to, like, renters start poking us. They say, okay, well, I guess you guys are the new landlords now. Who do we pay our rent to? And we're like, um, um, I guess us. So create a rental empire uh, to, you know, possibly make some some gold and we call the alliance brothers of tongra which stands for uh i mean the acronym obviously is bot um but the reason we chose that name i chose it because I, I got to make decisions like that back then uh is in our history pl had a, a group called sons of tangra that we worked with a lot so i thought it'd be a fun play on on history and stuff like that but i have to be right back so hopefully you guys can can keep going through the decade um but yeah this is a, a hugely important thing because this is when Rental empires be start becoming a thing. Um, and Test Alliance starts getting too big for their britches. Uh, and, you know, things begin to happen there, which I'm sure 
the rental empires had already become a thing, but they were generally only under the Russians, right? This was, this, as far as I can recall, was the first time that um, a, a non-Russian group, especially over in the East, had sat there and said, well, we're going to have a large rental empire. And that made others out there have to, you know, kind of have to begin to consider that kind of stuff as well. Um, but, it, you know, it was something that was a significant funding mechanism for um, those alliances, just given, again, the dominion sovereignty system and the way that that worked at the time. Following the Russian Civil War, right? Um, um, what was it? I gave the rise of the Honey Badger Coalition, okay? And, uh, and their battle against, you know, the Southern Coalition down there. And again, that was another, uh, I think the, the CFC were also involved in that. And there was, you know, the whole AAA will never die thing. And AAA had these pets like Nelly Segunda and other groups. And they were the, the main influence there. They had, they had gotten mad at CVA and actually knocked them out of Providence. And that was the first time that had happened ever. I think this... And I'm trying to remember exactly when it may have been a little bit before this or whatever, but but the whole OTEC uh, cabal thing kind of came about at the uh, you know somewhere around that time, maybe a little bit before. Yeah, so for Nelly Segunda, because that's where I was, they get kicked out of Thunderdome because Test comes down and just kind of wipes out the place and takes it over. And now they have a couple regions and they're feeling pretty good. So what happens to Nelly Segunda? Uh, they go up to um, the Vale area. Is it Vale? Yeah. And they hook up with NC Dot and they also hook up with uh, Elo Knight. I mean, first they go to Faction War. One of the major recovery areas was Faction War. People would go to Faction War to hang out for a while to kind of keep their guys going while they figured out what to do next. We're going to so, regroup in Losec. Yeah, regroup in Losec, do some Faction War, and then go back and figure out where we want to go back into Nullsec. So Dot Bros is formed from that. Uh, you have NC Dot up there. They own some moons. You have Dot Bros up there. Uh, sorry, um, Elo Knight and Black Legion is up there. And then you have Nelly Segunda up there. So what's happening is you did have OTEC that that had just come to an end. And OTEC was basically an agreement among, I think it was five parties. I should know this. One of them is Test. One of them is uh, CFC or Goon Swarm. Uh, one of them is Pandemic Legion. One of them is Northern Yeah, PL was involved there. And the last group is Evoke, actually, which is a much smaller German group. But they were they got a piece of that pie for some reason. Uh, it could be the remnants of uh, kicking out Northern Coalition in the in the north. So those groups there uh, have moons, and they say, "Hey, look, there's a bottleneck on this mineral called technetium. Let's regulate it. We'll all make money, and everything will go through us." And so they do. So the first, and an interesting thing happens around this time, this uh, PL um, fighter named uh, Ravy, who's really good, and he does alliance tournaments, uh, ends up being hired by CCP. And that guy turns out to be CCP Fozzie. And the first thing he does when he gets into CCP is he targets OTEC and breaks it up <laughs> by creating alchemy. Yeah, and you know what? Um Again, this is almost one of those times where where you got to look back at sort of the economy of Eve, you know, and and just comment about you know sometimes these things lead to uh, uh, conflict, other times they lead to this other thing of diplomacy, right? And that was really where kind of OTEC came out of, right? Why are we continuing to fight each other other over these money moons, um, you know, and waste all that 
income on fighting over them and they you know created sort of otec to be this you know way of sort of splitting it up in such a way but it was the fact that you had a bottleneck a significant bottleneck that meant something that created a lot of conflict, especially at a time when, you know, what you were fighting over, you know, were, were pauses and kind of the enjoyment of fighting over, over moons like that. Yeah. Right. So OTEC has, uh, has been dismantled by CCPs, particularly Fozzy, who figured out that you need a release valve so you could take other minerals, put them together and create technetium out of nothing or not out of nothing, but out of other minerals that you don't have access to. And that goes around the bottleneck. So even if they choke on, uh, they have a chokehold on that mineral that, uh, yeah, let's call it a mineral, technetium. People could create their own technetium uh, or technetium, however you want to call it, and build the T2 stuff that you need to build. So that's what kind of dismantled that. But also there is an attitude from NC dots like we got too much money. We don't we don't need any more money. Let's fight. We need fights is what we need. So instead, uh, what they do is they, with Elo Knight, attack uh, the CFC moons in Venal. And there's a big brawl. The treaty is over for those guys. And uh, Elo Knight and, and Vince Drag informed Dot Bros with Pro God Legend at that time too. So what happens though is that Nully fighters are really just kind of fighters. Like Pro God steps aside, Elo runs the fleets, and Vince runs like the bigger missions with uh, capitals and super capitals. Now you should have to understand who Vince Draken is at this point, right? He's a veteran of many wars and he's an incredibly good and aggressive FC. And he's loved by his followers because he is, doesn't matter how many guys he has, he will, he will drive right into a group that's twice its size and like scare. He's like, he'll scare them into their station and just camp them. Uh, he really lived to uh, impose power on people. And that's the whole, the identity of NC dot comes from his personality of imposing power. So Dot Bros is up there kicking around and they're fighting uh, Goonswarm and Goonswarm is stumbling because they always do when they start a war. They stumble and make errors and then they look at their errors and they correct for those errors and then they are consistent enough to, to start winning and they bring enough manpower to bear to make that happen. But initially when you start fighting Goonswarm, they're, they're, they take huge losses trying to figure out what's going on. But an odd thing happens in the middle of Dot Bros versus in, uh, CFC. Vince Draken opens a second front against Solar. And uh, I don't know if Vince, an Englishman, just doesn't like Russians because he said a lot of anti-Russian stuff at the time. Uh, but he, was, he wanted to fight Solar at the same time. So you have a two-front war and uh, Dot Bros is stuck in the middle of that. And it starts... They, they, we, we see that Dot Bros starts burning out. Um, and what follows next is something of legend here, but there's a disagreement between Elo Knight, who has started to, I don't know what the word is on internet, date or um, has, has a, a relationship with NC's number two female, not Lady Scarlet. Uh, it was Wicked Princess, I believe. Because of, because of Falcon? Right. And there's a ship, a Falcon, that is in a hangar and it's taken by Wicked Princess, I believe. And Vince says, where's that ship? That ship was not your ship. That ship was my ship. And she's like, no, that was my ship. And there's a disagreement over a Falcon. So if you hear about legend of uh, Dot Bros and the Falcon, that's what they're, they're fighting over a ship. Uh, and she and Vince break off relations and she takes off and 
uh, goes over to uh, Elo Knight to, as a refugee, of course, and he takes her in. And so now you have Elo Knight versus Vin Straken. Elo's not going to fly anymore for Dot Bros. They break up. And uh, so off goes Elo Knight. And that's the end of Dot Bros as you knew it initially. And now you just have Nelly Segunda and NC Dot, which is important because that relationship will form in three, which is basically what happens because uh, the CFC is too powerful. They start coming in and throwing NC and uh, Nelly Segunda out. Um, Elo Knight is now the third front in that war and Solar Fleet. So uh, NC Dot can't fight Solar, Elo, uh, or Black Legion and CFC. And they go uh, Gorga says, let's do something in the South. We'll put all these groups together down there and create N3. So you had N for NC, N for Nili Segunda, N for Nexus Fleet. And Nexus Fleet was basically like a newbie fleet where you could kind of come into the place. And those were the three alliances that started it. But uh, Gorga, who was kind of the organizational leader of this group, came out and said, we're not going to do a, a major alliance plus pets relationship. We think it's unfair. Everybody's equal. Everybody's going to have say-so. We're going to build a council and we're going to do this right. And so that's when you start seeing the formation of N3, which ends up becoming a very big player in the South. Now, Elise had mentioned Montolio earlier, and now I think is when you know things sort of come back in, right? Because after after the Honey Badger Coalition down there and this in the and the Southern Coalition War that went on and whatnot, I think there was a little bit of a period there, but not much. I mean, you're still talking about kind of this this uh, you know you know 2012 into 2013 sort of sort of time frame, right? And then we have a realignment of the moons in Eve Online. A redistribution. A right. redistribution across the board of moons in EVE Online. People going madhouse, mapping moons out there. <laughs> and this place called Fountain turns up to uh, apparently have a nice selection, <laughs> a nice selection of moons that I believe Test at the time was sitting on. And I'm going to try and remember, is, is Elise back? No, he'll be back. Okay, yeah, right, he's not back. Yet. All right, I, I'm going to try and remember what it was at the time, or what the at least the um, what the narrative was that was built for sort of the the falling out between um, the well, CFC, the CFC and Test. Yeah, it was multiple. It was multiple fronts, but basically, they were saying that Montolio is an unstable leader. Test guys, we don't want to fight you guys. We like Test. We helped raise you but your leader is too erratic. And this is when you have something of a cultural war. So with, sorry, a cultural shift inside of Goon Swarm from a ragtag group of, uh, I don't know, malcontents that basically just want to ruin the game for everybody. They start changing over to like, okay, let's grow up a little bit. You know, let's take this racism, put that aside. Let's take this, you know, this, clean up some social aspects to it. Uh, let's not treat people bad. That sort of the stuff. Cult the cultural revolution is it was. That's it. So the cultural revolution happens and Test is like looking at that scoffing or Montolio is saying like, hell no, you know, we're Tess. We, we make noise. We, everything is, uh, we're irreverent to everything. And, and so that was one aspect of the divide, uh, that the, the wedge between those two groups. But you also had, you're right, a financial interest in Fountain, which Test was sitting on. Test was actually a lot of people, but not very good. That's what they were known for. They were great with PL because PL would come in and they would be the precision punch. But then you had all these people in test that would be the meat shield to protect that fist. Test on its own was not very strong. I'd say they were like the ground troops, right? I mean, you know, they were yeah. 
And, and you know what? A lot of alliances out there, you know, uh, uh, kind of held that position. People might refer to them as meat shields or whatever. But really what it is, is these are the raw numbers of subcap pilots that were also backed by the fist of, you know, something larger and maybe, you know, more strategically organized. From what I hear, though, there was a dislike of Montolio, not just uh, it was they really thought he was ill-equipped to be leader. Uh, I think you hear Boat talk about how Montolio was just very strange and caustic fellow and it could be true um but they didn't want anything to do with montolio so i think what happened is um was it the honey i'm trying to think of when honey badgers actually formed because you had pl working with test they had formed before that they were up against uh they were up against triple a and all that weren't they yes the southern war had that, yeah yeah that southern was war was yeah so this is after the southern war triple a's vanquished honey badgers is now a thing that test is a part of there's a point where sort dragon leaves to kind of lead test lead honey badgers uh, as a coalition uh, there were a few other groups in there but test was the major one and that's where i need some clarity maybe uh, we can get that a little bit later when elise comes back but basically you have this thing that became known as the fountain war kickoff down there right um you know uh, the CFC, you know, you know, up in the northwest there in the north, you know, uh, you know, went on down and began to have some serious slugfests in the in the J5A, um, you know, area down there. Just massive battles on the gates and, and actually getting kind of kind of whooped at first, as I recall. Um, you, know, we, you know, we had a few bad outings there on, you know, trying to break through. Um, you know, to you know, into Fountain to be able to stage some stuff. Lost a station and. Goonswarm doesn't do well at the beginning of fights, but they end up changing their game and adapting and then being able to win with the, with the numbers they can bring. This was a war that, you know, this was a war that, that, you know, went on through much of, of, I don't know what, like the first half of 2013. Yeah. 2013. Yeah. Well, it was, it was really the a summer war. I think it started in the spring. And no, then, no, it started earlier. It started earlier than that because there because there was some time between that and then the Halloween war, which ends up kicking off after it. But the Halloween war starts, of course, in Halloween of 2013, and this was the summer war that led up to. Uh, you're right. There was two months of quiet, maybe. So this is the spring. Yeah, spring summer of 2013. God, all this, and we're just talking about 2013. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that's just it. Is that you know, you had you know, you had this thing, the Fountain War, right? You had some you know pretty significant battles. And, you know, and again, these these were not my recollection. These were the kind of battles that went <laughs> system by system. Basically, you were pushing front lines back. Okay, um, granted, you may have skirmishes and activity and you know setting of all this stuff, right? As a part of Dominion sovereignty, you know, setting of you know battles here and timers there and all that kind of stuff, right? But generally speaking, there was a lot of kind of pushing the front lines back, and and I know that there was also a thing where somehow the the CFC side, you know, had gained uh, some stations or you know strategic points by way of uh, I don't know some shit getting turned over, and now I'm not going to remember that exactly, but. This, I mean, it, it was a right. good size war where where you had not yet seen kind of you know massive super capital you know type you know type battles and things like that. Yeah. So what you have in Fountain War is a mixture of things, right? This was a lot of stuff. First of all, you have Goon Swarm kind of maturing as a a capital group. Before this, they were mostly sub capitals, but now they're starting to get um, 
they're using capitals a lot more often and they're starting to get uh, into using super capitals in a bigger way. Uh, and this is a big change because if you think about Goon Swarm's inception in 2006, they were basically rifters. We're going to get in our rifters and we're going to clog your cannons with our bodies. And their whole thing was to throw men at, at, at a group. But over time, those rifters changed into battleships. And in Fountain War, they're mostly in battleships. But they're also, the advanced guys are in carriers and some dreadnoughts. And uh, even more advanced guys are starting to get into super capitals because uh, they're now they've sat on a lot of wealth, technetium, a property in the north, money moons. And so they have started to build super capitals that you will see later in the Halloween War and BTACR. I mean, the, the big thing I remember being involved in very heavily during during the Fountain War were what we called the siege fleets, where we were out there in just massive numbers of bombers and black ops just flittering around all over the place. And if somebody came to respond, boom, we'd blink out of there or, you know, we'd cloak up or whatever. You know, it was, you know, it was very hard to defend against when what we were doing was we were taking down the pauses, right? We were just ripping down the pauses out there, you know, for that. Main, main battle fleets were about main battles over things like stations and iHubs and things like that. But, you know, you know, every single night there were multiple siege fleets, the, the bomberless bombers, you know, of the, you know, back then, uh, you know, going out to do this. And a lot of skirmish commanders out there and whatnot were flying these just 24 seven. Well, there was a lot of rolling in, rolling out. So in the U.S., a goon swarm would kind of get upper hand and then night would come and, PL and Nelly Segunda would do Australian time zone ops and roll stuff back. And it was going back and forth and back and forth quite a bit. But then there was a political, I believe Sort Dragon was, um, oh, I, know, I remember now. The reason Honey Badgers gets complicated is Sort Dragon was in charge of Honey Badgers, right? And Sort Dragon goes to FanFest. There he meets Pro God Legend. There is some kind of a skirmish over, it gets into real life, so I won't get into that, but they do not like each other. And so Sort Dragon announces live at FanFest when he's being interviewed by CCP, he's going to take Honey Badgers to war against Nelly Segunda because he's mad at them. And uh, Honey Badgers is basically test at this point, says, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and so Honey Badgers breaks up. So Sort Dragon is upset about this. And he still owns a couple constellations in the north of Fountain. So he gives all those constellations to Goon Swarm, and those flip instantly. It wasn't a big change, but it was a significant hit. And it was an interesting, it was an interesting, uh, what you could call a backstab if you're from Fountain, or an interesting diplomatic move if you're a third party looking at that. So that was one thing. But one of the, the thing about Fountain War and the reason people refer to it a lot, even though it's early in the decade, is that it, a lot of things were changing at the time. And that war was fun as hell because there were so many fleets to participate in, so many people fighting, and the tides were going back and forth. And it just seemed like it had everything. It had espionage. It had diplomatics. It had a lot of uh, sub-cap fights. And then you had a major capital fight that actually... I think the server got turned off in front of. Yeah, I was in the. Yeah, I forget, that was was that J five or J A or was it? It was a key system that was being fought over. It was one of the gates into Fountain, and there was a capital fight. The power went out, and everybody got disconnected. And uh, Goonswarm was really mad because they were beating Pandemic Legion's capital fleet, so they thought uh, this was unfair. 
I believe this is also the beginning of slow cats, the doctrines of capital ships, carriers and dreads or whatever that repair each other, creating a, a essentially a invulnerable mass of capital ships. Yeah, I don't know if that had hit yet or if that was more uh, either because I don't remember that being a major thing in in kind of the last big battle or or, or anything like that. What was that? C, uh, C, whatever, whatever tests like, you know, last standing capital system was or whatever. I mean, you did. I mean, you, you did have these things, but but, but it, it it wasn't it wasn't like what we saw in the in the Halloween War, right? You know, which became a lot of stuff against. Uh, but this is when it was starting, not when it got perfected and right. Yes. And, and Wrecking yeah, Ball yeah. came in in the Halloween War, but initially, slow cats were starting to catch on. Those were in, pioneered by Manfred Sidious, who was in charge of Pandemic Legion at the time. Six VDT. Thanks, Rob. Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly, you're you're right. The early the early stages of it, you 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 are correct. But I don't I don't think that we had yet experienced you know kind of the, the other things like waterboarding and things like that. That kind of came up uh, later on, if I recall. Yeah, that that was that was later on. The 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 system where we had the capital battle, which got disconnected, was the nine PP, which is on the road down from Cloudring as such. Um, but yeah. But yeah, the six VDT fight was their their final stand. That was uh, that was correct. Well, we, we haven't gotten quite there yet, but the Not but yet. you're right. There were things that were developing here, and Fountain War was the first war that felt legitimately powerful. Like it was a big event. First of all, you had, and this was a big big deal because things were getting kind of stale with OTEC working. You people really wanted Tess to turn on their master CFC, and this actually had happened. And then you had people piling on because they wanted to fight the uh, goon swarm. So you had Nully in there, you had NC Dot in there, and you had PL in there. And those three groups were getting together. And that was a powerful combination along with Tess. So there was a lot of optimism that goon swarm could be defeated by this group, right? And they were fighting in Fountain. So this was a big, politically, it was a big war. Militarily, it was a big war, and you see a lot of new ideas starting to emerge from this. But as it turns out, something happens that totally unplugs this war, and that is someone from Snuff, basically, before their Snuff, uh, they're part of Elna, a corporation in Nulli Segunda. What they do is they basically dissolve the training group for N3, which is, again, the combination of uh, NC Dot and Nulli Segunda and many more uh, alliances now, many, many more alliances now. And so they unplug the training group for them and they unplug the rental group for Nulli Segunda. You have two or three whole regions completely go solveless in the South. What happens is Manfred Sidious basically uh, with, I think, Vince and ProGod all say, we were taking a timeout. We got to go and recapture that Sov. And they, so they go down there and they recapture the Sov in an astounding, at least the stations, they recapture the stations in 48 hours. You have basically the really powerful military have to take off. And at that point, leaving Test alone without good leadership. And uh, those guys get run over by Goon Swarm and they get backed into a final battle. And this is one of the biggest battles in EVE Online's history because all these test guys basically say, come on, it's going to be fun. It's our last stand. Let's go and die together in this station. So it was not a contested battle. The war was already swinging in favor of uh, CFC. 
So it was not an important battle, only that it was a huge battle and a fun battle for people who wanted to be in it. I think it's important also to, to you know to, to point out that that earlier, again earlier in January 2013, we totally forgot about this: the Battle of Asakai. Right. So Battle of Asakai is important because Which it was it's actually in, before the Fountain War, but it, it, I totally forgot it was in January of 2013. But yeah, it was. You have now. three. You have three battles that are very important, and they all happen in January. So you have Asakai happens in January and it's a big, it's a faction war area and uh, boat, I think was uh, in a certain area. So you have the CFC kind of making itself, um, they're playing with faction war people or something. They're just kind of fighting. Boat accidentally jumps in a Titan, which makes him a big target. And so PL is called and so all PL and these other groups all jump in and, and, and they uh, try to destroy boat. And it's low sex. So everything slows down because you have this new thing called tie-dye. It's brand new. People don't know how to use it yet. They don't know what actually happens. And so you have plenty of time for other people to get into this fight and the server is not going to break. So it's worth getting there. And that's the, the logic of it. And that's why so many people pile into this one battle, Asakai, which is just a low sec area, not strategically important. The undercurrent to all this is that PL really wants to fight Goon Swarm, but they don't and they can technically fight them, but they've been allies this whole time. Uh, so it's kind of a, they need a good excuse to beat up on. Well, I, 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 I don't know that I'd call it allies. I, I don't know that they were allies at the time, but I believe that they were part of. Not, not, not official allies, but they had been allies before. But this is them wanting to turn on them. Uh, so that's what some of the motivation was underneath it. But you have tie-dye, which allows people to get into this fight. And this huge fight happens, and it's reported all over the world that this big, big battle happened in EVE Online, and the servers didn't crash. And so you have a huge amount of people that are now interested in these big battles come to EVE Online. And that's where you see test grow, 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 because a lot of them are coming from Reddit. Why? Because this battle is posted in, I think, r slash video games, which is has millions of people watching that. And so when they see this huge battle, a lot of Redditors come to the game, not necessarily people from other areas, but it's Redditors come to EVE Online and they join the group that's already there, Test. And you see Test grow into a powerhouse. And that growth leads to dominance of Fountain and Delve and makes them a target because they're very inexperienced. They just want to be in big fights and uh, and they're sitting on territory that Goonswarm wants. I mean, it, it is kind of funny because of, because of how much... Uh attention that single battle that just sort of happened out of nowhere you know kind of did right but when you look at the numbers of what was lost right uh, on the honey badger coalition side one super 11 carriers and six dreads and on the cfc side three titans five supers 29 carriers and 44 dreads right there were actually larger fights uh i think that it happened in that in that uh drf versus northern coalition as far as supers and things like that that were involved but um this one because of you know kind of you know three titans dead you know and 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 stuff like that you know got a lot of attention and also because it was sort of out of nowhere right like it wasn't just like the culmination of of you know uh some war where you know where this happened no it was an accident fluke it got a lot of attention. People join Test. Test becomes big. Fountain War then happens between CFC and basically Test. Test aided by N3 groups at the time. And so that's where we're at. Test finally falls in uh, W, what was it? 6VDT? Yeah. 6VDT. 
yeah, they have a big final battle, but the war is already over and they're destroyed. Now, something is happening in the South at this time, right? Because you had this giant unplugging of um, N3 and you have some territory, I believe, and I really would like uh, Elise's memory on this. You have Russians kind of contesting because Russians are mad at Vince, right? Because Vince or Northern Coalition because of this, the war that happened up there in the North. But Solar Fleet is now in the South taking up space, I believe, in N3 area. So what what uh, Pro God Legend and Vince and even PL are doing is they're, they're coming back and fighting Russians. And that is what you see uh, the beginnings of the Halloween War, which is really only two months after the Fountain War actually ended. So what's happening again is you have the Halloween War is focused on the South, mostly in Immensia and Fate and those areas. Uh, and you have a CFC that is like claiming victory and partying and drinking wine because they just won a big war. And now they have Fountain. And they're like, hey, our Russian friends are in trouble down in the South. Maybe we can go and just kind of, you know, put some pressure on these guys that just just uh, fought us in the Fountain War. Uh, and uh, that all happens, I guess, it starts in uh, Halloween where you start seeing alliances formed like the CFC helping the Russians take on N3 and PL. Okay, and uh, I think we all fought in the Halloween War, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so initially, PL is uh, kicking the crap out of uh, CFC or Goon Swarm in catch. Uh, they're just owning them. I think the doctrines had shifted. Right now, at this point, you see the slow cats are a staple for, and unbeatable, right? Because when you have NC and PL... Uh, put together their capital fleet. Uh, those guys can repair each other all day long and never be destroyed. So it's uh, it's it's just like un, it's unbreakable. And then you have what's called the drone assist that was unlimited. So all the and this is the powerhouse of the of uh, slow cats is you have all these carriers that cannot be destroyed because they're repairing each other, and they deploy their drones and they have unlimited bays for drones essentially. So you can have wave after wave after wave after wave of drones. So they cannot be defanged. Their power can't be defanged. And you can assign all those drones to one person's command. And that one person command can point at somebody and it's all the drones fire on that person and immediately blow it up regardless of what it is. You just evaporate somebody, like regardless of what they were in, pretty much. So what you have is a Death Star, right? Slow Cats formed a Death Star and it had... <laughs> Uh, a planet killing weapon. And so it just was blapping and blapping and blapping right through Drake fleets, right through Baltech fleets, whatever was coming at them, they're just able to destroy it. So once that got, once the slow cats came onto the field, the match was over and it was not beatable. Except for the fact that, that it was somewhat immo you know, immobile. However, when you're talking about going up against things like structures, right, as part of the, the sovereignty warfare system and things like that, right. When you're going up against an IHUB, when you're going up against a station, right. Like this thing can just sit on top of it and just pour damage down onto it without really being uh, uh, too badly affected by whatever the defense fleet was out there. Right. Because it wasn't like anybody was throwing up a counter, you know, of, of you know, a Titan fleet against it or anything. Yeah, it could deal with pretty much anything except for like, you know, a massive super capital kind of force. What you do against slow cats is you basically slow them down called waterboarding. So if you've heard of that, and this is basically, you, you just basically make them stay out on the field as, as, 
forever and people get really tired and resentful and so they don't want to show up on those. So it's like torturing people who get into those fleets because they can't move and they can't log off because otherwise you'll lose that asset out there, right? If you leave that asset, it'll be lost. So that's what happens there. As Robert, Robert's saying out there is it, it had two issues, range and mobility, right? I mean, it's not like his range was unlimited, you know, because again, they were using sentry drones basically. Um, and, and then once they were in place, if you could lock them down, you could keep them there for hours and hours. Okay. So yeah. that it morphs into uh, an even bigger version of it, which is called the wrecking ball. And it's more of a I don't that's know how effective one. it was, but the wrecking ball comes around, and that's slow cats with a hollow center. This is a creation of Memphis Sidious as well. Like this, he took the the idea of slow cats and like created what was like considered to be called the wrecking ball, right? Yes, it's a it's a advance in that line of thinking, and so in the middle of this ball, this circle of uh, carriers, you put in super carriers, and they can't bounce out of there, they would bounce around in their like little nuclear fusion. And that would keep them from flying off because what happens when you bring a lot of supercarriers in, they bounce off each other. And if they bounce off each other, one will fly off to the side and get too far away from its, its group. And those are the ones that you pick off. And essentially you have in head GP, a huge battle between the CFC, who's now committed a lot more troops, a lot more dreadnoughts. And I think they lose something like 400 dreadnoughts inside of head GP because the uh i believe it wasn't tied the problem there was uh the game did crash eventually and so when uh cfc was logging back in they were getting picked off by pl and nc dot and so they lost like 400 dreads huge huge loss a few days later you know the battle of btac r and there's a lot to the battle of btac r but we're gonna skip a lot of it just to be a little cra a little better on time well i you, you know, I, you know the one thing. I, the one thing I do want to point out is, is that there were a lot of capitals and super capitals that are down there at this point. Um, you know, pr prior to prior to head, right? You know that 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 the CFC does have, right? And and like they weren't really known to be um, a coalition that was throwing, a, you know, throwing its potential weight out there in terms of that, right? PL, NC, those guys, they were the ones that were really known for, you know, we will field these things at a, at a moment's notice um, where that hadn't happened yet. But then the plan was, right, you know, to, to go in on head GP. And then that, that went wrong. The thinking was that CFC is feeling pretty strong now, right? They've just won a war. Now they're in the South and they have this huge armada because they've got some wealth and they've been building it. But they're new to it. And PL and NC are like, this is great. We have newbies in big, expensive ships. We're going to take a huge bite out of them. And for a while, uh, the inside the Halloween War, you have these groups, uh, and you have Russians down there too, right? That's who's being fought by N3, circling each other around the ring, like ready to go. They're ready to like, at some point, it's all going to go down, and we're going to take out a lot of these super capitals that uh, CFC have built. And that's that's what they want. They want to have this fight. So they're baiting and uh, you know trying to get each other to engage. Head GP looks like it's going to happen, but it, the system breaks down. And when uh, the systems come back up, basically the CFC lost that one really bad. I, I just remember jumping in, not being able to do anything. You know, you know everything was going to hell in a handbasket. Um, you know, getting the order to jump out, jumped out, finally got to my destination system. Uh, I don't know made a move and then exploded. <laughs> it was like, I died, yeah. I died in the other system. 
Yeah, it's crazy. So only a few days later, this accident happens where Saab drops on a system called BTAC-R. It was actually my home at the time. I was living in there mining. It, it happens right at uptime, right after downtime. Saab drops, whether it was paid or it was a bug, who knows? And see, uh, at this point, PL, that's their home base. That's where they're staging out of. That's not where NC was staging out of or Nully. They were staging out of uh, different areas, but all like near that area. And uh, PL was actually, they had run up to do an errand with their supers. And so they were out of position. So when BTECR happens, it's an accident. Razor finds that SOV is dropped. So Razor starts claiming the SOV. And it's funny. Uh, I was in that. I was in that initial kind of. Oh, tell us about it. So, so basically, we, were, we went in there um for whatever like particular reason we'd uh we'd formed like a dominic's fleets uh to go in and someone i, I think it was someone on, on the uh uh on the like some of our scouts basically said like oh guys the uh the, the territory claim kind of unit is like there's no territory claimed in btac r and people just like freaked out like seriously and then i i think it's, so it dawned on them that like because it's because um because the way that Dominion Sov works, if you don't have sovereignty in the system, you don't have any other timers relating to uh, reinforcing a station. So you can just fire straight through the station and, and claim it. And we knew at that particular point that PL had all of their stuff in that station. So it was a case of like we just we we hightailed it there to basically put damage on that station and flip it as fast as we could. Um, and I believe the the FCs uh, of of Razor basically got on the horn with anybody that we knew at that time uh, that could help. And at that particular point, it was uh, like most of the Russian bloc. So they came in and they helped because the Russians are awake at this time, right? So this is pre this is pre uh, US time zone, which is when CFC is strong. So the, I want to make this quick, but basically Russians jump in with super capitals, this is an opportunity now for NC and PL to take out Russian super capitals. Russians, uh, I believe Sword Dragon was kind of with them at this time. And he's the one that says that he contacted uh, uh, the CFC commander. Um, what's his name? Lazarus, the butcher Laz. tell Raven. Kept wanting to say Lux, but it was Laz, yeah. And uh, Laz, after losing a bunch of guys in head GP, has no hesitations and jumps in anyway to BTAC R, and it was a good move. Did you mention the fact of how Manfred had gone north to to deal with something? Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 some sometime some were in the north, so they weren't there. Right, they were out of position. They were out of position. They had to deal with something, and then they were coming back, and Manfred was just like. Manfred was already kind of, I believe he was already quite tired from, you know, having to deal with uh, like fleets prior to all of that. So he he was just, he, he basically came in, uh, you know, did the same, did the usual kind of thing, uh, you know, formed up enough people to, to, you know, get the wrecking ball kind of rolling uh, and then use that as basically, you know, the idea was uh, to drop it as an apex force in order to, uh, essentially scare away any kind of uh, CFC, uh, you know, dreams of uh, of taking anything. Okay, so the big point here is that BTAC-R is the collision of a new strong CFC with their supers. 
collision of Russians that are their allies with the old powers that had these ships to begin with, NCPL, and you have Nelly Segunda helping them out. And there's a lot to this battle. Suffice to say, it's a huge battle, 20, 21 hours long. Um, and everybody discovers that the only thing that happens in these tie-dye fights that's important is those doomsdays. You have to have enough titans to really win the day. And it was an exchange going back and forth and back and forth. By the end of the day, you have like 70 titans being destroyed. Uh, most of those happened after the battle was already over and people were just unable to extract. Yeah, there were there were a lot of things going on in the sidelines because that, like we there there were CFC uh, members who lost Titans outside of the battle, uh, getting you know engaged trying to get to the battle. Uh, I know personally one of our Titans that had to leave almost got uh, ambushed exiting. Uh, he actually got uh, like in the the strangest way possible. He even uh, he even got heat damage on his uh, on his rigs in some way, shape, or form. And I have no idea how that happens. Programming, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was insane. Mm -hmm. Now, why is BTACR such a big deal? What are the lessons learned from BTACR? Well, one is instead of PL taking a big bite out of Goon Swarm, Goon Swarm and Russians took a big bite out of PL because actually mostly PL died in that battle, not NC, which actually frustrated Mitanni who wanted to see NC dot go down, not PL. They didn't necessarily dislike PL. Mittens was not for this battle, according to Laz. I remember Laz made a presentation and he said Mittens did not want to go into this battle. Laz was a deciding factor there. So he's the one that took CFC in. They win the battle. But Grath talks to Matadi saying, can I get my guys out? We're out of this war. We're going to unplug and, and take off. Because basically PL had all their shit there. I mean, it was, it was, all, it was all now locked yeah. in this station. Um, you know, as far as, you know, all of their, you know, subcap or, or just capital related stuff, like it, it was a whole bunch of their stuff just locked in now. And, you know, I, you know, I'll call it, they basically sued for, you know, for getting out. Well, they asked and Matani yeah. said, yeah, okay. And there was a couple of reasons for that. One is like when you, when you kill someone completely like that and take all their stuff they've earned over a period of many years, remember Titans at this point are worth a hundred billion, right? It's not your 40 billion and it's, it's hard enough to get sovereignty to get that stable sovereignty. So it's a whole different ballgame for getting supers than it is now. So it was a big deal to have them. To have that go, you're going to knock a lot of players out of the game. And they probably knew that to some level. But Matani still thinks it's one of the biggest mistakes he ever made was not to kill PL there because they probably could have. And so PL does get out. They rebuild rather quickly. Within a few months, they're able to pull uh, players who are no longer playing anymore. They take their Titans back. Kenneth Feld is a big part of that rebuilding process. NC dot ends up, well, actually what happens to after the BTAC R is that CFC wins again and they go home happy and they leave uh, the Russians to kind of fend for themselves. And the Russians actually get uh, espionaged out of sovereignty and implode and CF, uh, NC dot and, and Nelly Segunda kind of wipe out uh, the Russians. No, I'm sorry. One thing happens. Uh, the dead zone, the dead zoning of oh, what was it? Otec Seven or I don't know. I forget what the name of the w, system. W. Yeah, I was in Detroit. That's all I remember. Sorry, seven day hill camp. Yeah, after <laughs> after Btacar, Nelly Segunda runs to D Detroit. That's where they retreat to. They rally there. They tell Pro God they're not going to be chased there. They lied. So CFC hell camps uh, Nelly Segunda trying to kill it because they don't like Nelly Segunda for personal reasons. 
I think they said something about a uh, vile rat or something. And, and that's something that Matani will never forgive. So he begs CFC guys to fight just one more thing. And that is Noli Segunda. And they hell camp him into Detroit, hoping to kill them off. It doesn't work, but that was what they were trying to do. And then they go home. Noli Segunda emerges thanks and, and starts to work with NC dot and they win the Halloween war by taking out the Russians through, I believe it was espionage. The Russians implode and NC dot and N3 kind of take over the whole territory. And that's when N3 becomes a powerhouse that owns the entire South. CFC goes up North, starts uh, just basically living off the land and PL is in recovery mode. Uh, they they yeah. fight Russians to an end. And I think they, um, they dead zone or they hell camp them or dead zone them and solar basically dies at that point too. So that's kind of a lot of things are coming to an end right around 2014. And then people say Sov is boring and they put out the Sov deal saying we want more occupancy Sov rather than this uh, hyper traveling everywhere. Because the thing about the wrecking ball and the thing about and and just in FYI, the dead zone of solar's station over there, WC3P or something. Um, yeah, that yeah that had happened that had happened earlier. That was the first one, as far as I know. You're right. That was the first one to have happened. The other one, the other one happened, but then didn't last that long. And you're right. Yes, you're right. It was great sitting there running 24 hour things where all you did was assign your drones to you know to you know FCs as they were coming in and out and whatnot. <laughs> that was why they could happen that way. A lot of technological changes made make the game viable. So anyway, at this point, you have a lull. That happens, and people are really un- unhappy with force projection. That people could move so far so fast, and with tie dye, it made it worse, uh, and get into battles. And so something had to be done about how fast and far uh, capitals could move. And so you have for a long time. Uh, well, actually, you have re- rather quickly a first step that's done by Grayscale called the Phoebe jump changes. And at that point, they say, we're going to restrict dramatically how far and fast you can jump in these capital ships to restrict that power. Uh, and uh, the capital changes happen, and people are, are really kind of testing the waters to figure out how they can, how they can live. In the, late, in the late summer, early fall, uh, I believe it was 2014, you had Grayscale come out and say, you know, we're going to be going down a path of making changes in NullSec. Um, and then the first one that was announced were, you know, were those uh, jump drive changes. And I believe the introduction of fatigue with Phoebe, um, th- that was the, that was the first one. And then into 2015, you know, in August or whatever, you had Fozzy Sov come in, you know, the new Asia sovereignty system and things like that. And then we continued to build for a number of years, right. You know, in, in, well, 2015, 2016, obviously you had Citadel and things. So that was the beginning of the changes to NullSec that were coming in order to revitalize it, I guess. So I think you can look back at the Halloween War or BTECR specifically as the end of an era. And it was the end of the middle era of EVE Online, which to me was the funnest era for EVE Online because it was a lot of battleship I fleets. I agree. A lot of battleship fleets, a lot of opportunity to do stuff. Good movement, right? We talked about that movement thing being important. Uh, and after BTACR, um, it feels like a lot of business is settled. A lot of grudges have been settled. And, um, and, and N3 forms, but really they're just kind of renting the heck out of the South. You can see they take over half the map. Uh, they try to get into Delve. 
um, where CFC has extended their power because they defeated Test in the Fountain War and they've gone all the way down to Delve now. And so that's where there's some, some fights. I think the thing was you were getting a combination of two things that were happening around that time that, uh, because the word stagnation had been used before, but it was beginning to be used more and more and more, right? Um, and I honestly believe that when you go back and look again where we began the decade off and then where we're at at this point, you had a number of things that were kind of that brought it together to why you would end up having stagnation. I mean, you know, you had the massive proliferation of, of, you know, capitals and super capitals that were going on out there. The resources that came in with dominion sovereignty in terms of, you know, what IHEBs would allow for in terms of, you know, mining and all, you know, all of that kind of thing. And this is, this is obviously not even what happened later on in the decade um, that exacerbated it further and really sped it up. Um, you know, just dominion sovereignty itself got figured out, but with all of these caps and different things that you could use and the, and the ability to move around so quickly, um, you know, I think really just caused people to sit there and go, you know, what, you know, what exactly are we fighting over? We have, what you have is now the beginning of the modern age of EVE Online with, uh, these jump changes because that changes the, the landscape. Uh, and the strategies uh, in, in, in a big way. So these uh, changes come in and you have a lull because nobody is, everybody's waiting for the new SOB changes. So they, nobody wants to do anything big. So for basically a year and a half, 2014, the rest of 2014, because all the, the Halloween war ended basically in the spring. So you have the summer and then the fall, and then you have the whole next year, like 2015, where people are waiting to see what that solve is going to look like, so they can they can uh, they hold all their investments. They don't try to make any big moves because all those moves may be completely undone by a new solve. Uh, it's a slow period. And to be fair, you had gone through a period of a lot of warfare out there. Um, you know th that, like any war in Eve, tends you know to be the many who are being led by the few, right? And those few, those FCs, those log log you know, logistical people and things like that, right? They, you know, they get tired out at the end of, you know, campaigns. And a couple of those campaigns were fairly long and fairly strenuous. Well, you see retirements of people like uh, Manfred Sidious, I think kind of takes off for a while. And you have uh, Mr. V, I think also, I don't know how long he sticks around. So there's a lot of a lot of people. Billy, I think, takes off after this. All this stuff happens right before it, uh, the Halloween War. So you have some guys that are burned out and taking off, and other people are kind of simmering. So that's what happens in this middle decade: it is a lot of simmering, not a lot of movement going on, no major wars, but a lot of skirmishes and testing. So once the Phoebe changes hit, people are trying to test how that works, and you see people make mistakes. You see Black Legion make. Uh, a decision to try to try to run their capitals down to a fight and they just uh, totally get killed on their way home because <laughs> it's too slow. Uh, you see the CFC running all these uh, capitals to the bot, you know, from deckline down to delve and it just takes forever. And uh, so they're realizing, wow, these jump changes are not going to allow us to do what we did before. And people start living more regionally and the fights become more skirmishy and that sort of thing. Which which was the point, and I think that I think that that was the reason why that was the first change to come out was basically, you know, they were putting a significant barrier to entry to to force projection 
right? You may still have the forces, but your ability to put them out there and just, you know, whack whoever you want to and then be home for dinner. Yeah. And see, the thing was, that was a fun time when you could do that, but it got out of hand. And if you look at the changes, you have the server crashing because too many people are getting into fights. So you do this thing called tie-dye, which makes it worse because now everybody can get into these fights. Everybody who has incentive to get there because the server won't crash and you have plenty of time to get there. And now you have jump change restrictions to make it slower for you to travel to these fights. So you can't get there in time. But the side effects of that are now, even if there is no battle, just moving is tough. So you have the rise of these giant move fleets. Uh, where everybody needs to move together like a giant herd. And that is pretty spectacular to just see how powerful, at least in NC Dot, you could see that we had hundreds and hundreds of titans, right? Not everybody had titans at this time, but to see all those things move was really impressive. But, you know, the flip side of it, and um, I'll just give credit to Lord Servant out there for what, what he said, the flip side of not being able to go out there and project power, right? Or, you know, even even just momentary power, right, was the fact that now you basically solidified home zones, right, because chances are the other side wasn't going to move around the horn to come come get you. There was no longer the PL boogeyman, as he says. There wasn't the boogeyman of anybody except within your own area. So it really led to a castling effect out there, um, you know, in, in, in a number of areas. Yeah, and I, I remember that specifically because I, I was trying to think, like, when did NC or Northern Associates come to kind of you know, take over Delve and that kind of thing. And it, it rem, like what reminded me was the fact that, you know, the, the jump changes basically meant that we like, as the CFC were like far too stretched out, we were far too sort of, you know, spread out and that we actually ceded that territory specifically because, you know, the, the, the amount of um, movement involved in order to actually uh, to solidify defense in that area was just so colossal that you couldn't. So we just, we, you know, we ceded territory back into Fountain and uh, let NC Dot uh, and mm -hmm. Northern Associates take it. So yeah, right. Groups got smaller on purpose uh, to meet, you know, meet the expectations of the limitations of their force projection. So yeah, they abandoned territory. I think uh, CFC gave up two regions and moved up north, basically giving up Delve. That's when. NC moves into Delve and starts poking around Fountain, but FA is still in Fountain, I believe. So you have a yeah. little bit of changes, but it's basically solidifying. People are waiting for this new soft system. It finally arrives. Um, people, I don't know if they knew what to make of it. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people didn't like it, but it was breaking everything down into what, I think what CCP was trying to do was make it so there's a lot more skirmishes for wars rather than set piece battles where everything happens in one big fight. Correct. That was, that was supposed to be the thing. Uh, an offshoot of that was also to allow um, smaller groups, okay? I don't mean so, smaller groups to take and hold sovereignty, but smaller groups to be able to um, be involved with at least a portion of sovereignty warfare, whether it just be out there, you know, attacking something to see if you'll come out and fight or 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 not right it, it wasn't meant to be a, a situation where smaller groups could more easily take and hold it but they could at least be involved with it with something you know less than going out laying down sbus waiting for those to anchor and then basically you know attacking large structures 
since we're since we're at 2015, we're halfway. We're technically halfway through the decade. I I, I do want to just go back and say this: what we've talked about here is a lot of what I will call, you know, obviously the null sec activity of the time. Right? We haven't talked about things like Monocle Gate. We haven't talked about things like um, um, you know Incarna and the Summer of Rage and things like that, which I believe are covered so often, but they really are kind of you know in the background, led to led to a lot of things in a different angle. But I got to be honest, what I really wanted to highlight in talking about this most recent decade, at least the first half of it, you know, was at least what I perceived to be the level of activity that was going on out there, the wars that were taking place, the conflict that was happening. And granted, this is null centric. OK, it just tends to be um, without actually getting into some of those more, I don't know, uh, you know, stories of, you know, did the CSM get mad at Hilmar or something? Yeah. There's a, the social events that happen in the meta are interesting. You have essentially uh, 2011 is a change in direction for CCP's development. They say, let's balance this game and fix the game more than create new features, new gameplay. So you have uh, planetary interaction is one of the last, or incursion is one of the last things that are like new gameplay. Now you have, over those four years, it's just a fixing and balancing and making the game run better. And so you have technological advances and you have uh, mechanical advances in the way things happen in the game. Uh, and you also see Hilmar essentially take a hike and start to do these other things. You, you see dust essentially come and then kind of go. It didn't really, uh, it didn't connect as well as they thought that it would connect. And again, I think by this time, uh, Hilmar's, I think the other companion product to EVE Online was World of Darkness. And at this point, World of Darkness is also folding and no longer going to be a thing. It's sold off as a different property to other people. So the point is, there's a lot going on outside the game. Uh, but the general attitude is, fix the spaceship game. That's what we play. And that's what they were doing. Not at the same time all this is happening, but kind of it kind of overlaps, right? 2012, 2016. Yeah, man. Look, look, there were changes. There were changes that began to come in. And again, this is this is going to be very, very null centric. You know, we, because obviously these were there was a period of years there where it was really about um, you know changes that primarily affected null or at least those areas you know with capitals and super capitals and you know where where structures mattered much more and all that, right? You know, but there were also. I believe the second half of the decade was a hangover period from the first half of the decade where you had such a buildup of, of um, extreme, I don't know if you want to call it, you know, you know, ISK and resources and everything else that then poured into the second half of the decade and then accelerated that in that even though they were making changes out there, it wasn't necessarily, um, um, changing what I think was still a perceived kind of level of, of, of stagnation. Yeah. Well, okay. At this point, we're halfway through the decade. Uh, new SOV has just hit. Do you guys want to finish this tomorrow or do you want to try to cram it into this? Tomorrow? Because <laughs> it's New Year's. What are you doing for New Year's? Because uh, I got to go pretty soon unless you want to continue without me, which is totally no, fine. No, no, no. Not many of us here. No, I mean... If at least maybe back we can and... get together tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow morning's gonna look like, but <laughs> dealing with a hangover—that's what's gonna be happening tomorrow. <laughs> that's, 
the problem I'm surprised, is, I'm surprised McLeod's not already not already like you know tapping him up, but <laughs> I'm free tomorrow. If you want to continue, we can do give it a proper hour and a half, two hours to do the second five years. I just don't know if there's enough in there. Look, I think the one thing we haven't gotten to yet is Casino War B, World War B, the Casino War, whatever you you know, whatever you want to call it out there, which was which was a rather substantial thing that happened in 2006 around this uh, 2016 around the same time as they released, you know, the Citadel release and the changes to capitals and super capitals and the you know introduction of of citadels obviously. Um it was it, it was a it was a it was a big thing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm I mean, not gonna, li- I, I, I'm not gonna lie. Past that point, I'm just not sure yet. I mean, to be fair, I na- I named it as like my my event of the uh, the decade, the 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 dethroning of uh, Imperium in the north. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, because look, you know, with with what they owned up there, and we're either going to go into it or we're not. But you know, that well, that, hold on, let's decide that quick. McLeod, can you well, come you back tomorrow go. with this? I got oh, yeah, I mean, I mean I, I, yeah, like, uh, yeah. Let's do this again tomorrow, same time. Uh, uh, Dirk, you're here. That's good. Now let's preview what happens, and then we'll go. Same time. See, 12 o'clock noon my time. This might be a little early tomorrow. You're right. Maybe a little bit later. <laughs> okay, but uh, let's preview what happens in the second five years. You have, uh, well, gosh, essentially you have World War B, which is, remember BTECR happened. And so uh, you have Pandemic Legion and especially NC Dot really wants to take that bite out of CFC that they wanted to do in, in 2014. Uh, and they're waiting for that opportunity. And here comes this infusion of money and they uh, infusion of people and interest. And so that's what leads up to World War B, the attack on the North where CFC is sitting there making money, sitting back, enjoying their victories of the first half of the decade. And it works. They get displaced. They head south. And then there are new lords in the north. Uh, NC Dot finally gets to be Northern Coalition up there again, since that's what they were trying to do the whole time is live up there. And so that is the status quo for a while. But then it's north starts to fall apart because you need movement. And they start to fight amongst each other, notably test and CO2 get knocked down to the south where FCON is living. Um, and so there's fights down there for territory and you see the rise of Test Alliance and Legacy. Uh, we skipped over Brave, but that's, I guess, okay. <laughs> and then you have um, Russians kind of start to slowly decay uh, out of loss of interest, I think. And then you have uh, what what we would call the modern era of EVE Online. And that is the Test uh, and... Um, Imperium now, because they changed the name from CFC to Imperium, you have them kind of group up instead of fight each other, and you see them resist Pandemic Legion, which has gotten weaker over time because the gameplay has gone away from their style of play. Northern Coalition adapts by growing into a much bigger alliance than they were, and they run the North uh, with Sort Dragon essentially um, farming the hell out of the North. Uh, and that stays that way for a while. There's some skirmishes between a new group that comes up because of the Chinese uh, players that are entering the game and test, they get into a fight. Uh, Russians actually get killed in the mix pretty much. And, uh, that war starts to begin. It, it pauses for a while. And then this, the big wars happen in 2018, where you have essentially, uh, the Northern powers NCPL again, you have horde, this new group that's grown out of uh, the ashes of uh, brave, the first rendition of brave. 
Uh, you have Karma Fleet born inside of uh, CFC, or the Imperium, which or Goon Swarm, which grows as well. A lot of new players. So these groups get really, really big, uh, and they go to war all through 2018. And those are some of the biggest fights that Eve has ever seen, and pretty dramatic. But also, it it hit the it hit the limitations of the game. The servers were crashing. Even with tie-dye, they couldn't handle 6,000 people inside of one system. And you see, um, you see a real turnover in power where essentially uh, the CFC and test together can match PL NC and everybody else. And those two sides go to war. Uh, I think uh, basically NCPL end up uh, just not being able to, they, they no longer have that upper hand. And that is a real leveling that's happened over the last decade. And that happens in 2018. And probably the, pen, the, the moment that it really crystallizes is the Battle of UALX, which is a massive battle. And that happens, um, it happens that Test wins that battle. They did not know they were going to win. They could have been destroyed and killed, but they did win it. And uh, PL is really at that point wounded, I think, uh, just spiritually wounded as, a, as an entity. And uh, NC Dot is also... Um, uh, they, they couldn't help in that fight either. But that was the big turning point. And I think what we're seeing now in the modern era is uh, almost like a remnants of that. And that's when, when it starts to slow down, you see CCP want to get involved to kind of churn it, you know, because you need that churn in order to create activity. And that's when you see the drifters attack. And that's when you see blackout. And that's when you see CCP making moves to make the place more exciting. Yeah, I think there were a number of factors that come in there. And again, it, it goes back to my belief that, you know, there were excesses that just allowed to become excesses that allowed to become super excesses and, and things along those lines. I, I, I almost don't even want to call it a leveling. I mean, you referred to a leveling. And, and really what I think it was was running up against a concrete ceiling that just over time, um, the numbers just all pushed up to basically the same level. And it was all just a numbers game at that point. Yes, the numbers game is the what signifies the last three or four years of EVE Online, which is why you see these massive groups and why it's important to keep them together. Okay, so we got to wrap up, but we can't wrap up without talking about the most important or most influential or most uh, valuable players of EVE Online. And we should really, I wish we could do like a five-hour show and talk about all these guys, but we're not. I'm just going to name off some names and we'll talk a little bit about what they did and why they're important to this year. So 2019, most influential players, as far as talking in stations uh, point of view, and we look at this stuff all the time, uh, we have to look at people like, and here's the list, Omeka Gold. He won an amazing victory in for CSM, caught the imagination of some people, but uh, coming in third place is no small thing for an independent candidate. Big, big uh, win there. He's also somebody with a huge amount of imagination uh, and he's created and really or brought to the forefront and surface this play style called whaling. It's always been there, but he's also uh, made it uh, more interesting to watch and to know about. You also have uh, Kendar. Kendar broke off of uh, the Imperium and started his own thing up north uh, called uh, Trigger Happy. And they're basically this year's version of... Um, skill yourself uh, where it's an exciting place to be. It's a fun place to be. They like the style of the combat and people really want to go and be uh, a part of that. It's, it's gotten a lot of attention. 
Um, you can't look at 2019 without looking at this as a year for Vili. Uh, so Vili is a leader of test. He's also done some things uh, diplomatically that are really amazing. He put together uh, the um, he put together the he took over the perimeter market from Horde. He took it over from them, and then he negotiated with them to make that happen. But further in the summer, he negotiated a treaty basically between. I'll call it a treaty. It's not official between Gobbins and Matani. They, uh, well, I know that Matani did not like Gobbins at all. Anytime you bring up his name, he'd roll his eyes. And Gobbins, I don't know what he thought of Matani, but to bring them into the table and to make them cooperate over this money-making machine in high sec was no small task. And I think that is really interesting. Uh, you also have to look at the war that happened in the South, which worked all through 2019 between Winter Coalition and Legacy Coalition. And one of the leaders of that war uh, for the winter side of things was uh, Elo Knight, who essentially um, was on day in, day out, just managing that war like a machine. And he was a big part of Winter's defenses and Winter's ability to stay competitive in that war for a long time, for months and months and months. And on the other side, you have Sado, who's the FC for Test, who was also running a lot of the stuff for Test in that war. These are all the names that you should know about, but probably the greatest name in 2019 uh, comes not in the form of a combat person, but uh, in the form of somebody who completed a decades-long task, uh, and that is Katya Seya. And I think I always say that wrong. I guess you say. Say. Katya Seya. No, it is. It's a, I just say it wrong all the time. Katya Seya, who is our player of the year uh, for accomplishing uh, traveling to every system in EVE Online, including wormhole systems, and doing it in uh, stealth mode and not dying ever. In other words, there were times where uh, she was stuck in systems and not able to escape for days and days because people were hunting uh, her. And so doing that is no small task. It's not just an issue of traveling. It's an issue of traveling and doing it in a way where you don't actually get killed. So that is the 2019 person of the year. I, and you know what? I'm going to be honest. I, I think it's a good person to pick, even though it was the culmination of almost a decade's work, I think. Um, you know, the fact that it happened this year, very rarely are you probably going to hear people talk about, uh, you know, let's call you know, a player of the year sort of thing, being somebody who didn't have anything to do with combat. And I think it's amazing that, you know, in this day and age, you can still do like firsts in Eve, even though Eve is like, I mean, Jesus Christ, what, 15, 16 years old? Yeah. Right. So uh, there's one person I forgot to mention, and that is Gobbins. Gobbins in there. He's taken. Well, you did mention Gobbins. I, I mentioned him, but only as Vili coordinating with him. Ah. But I meant to, I skipped him. Matani not liking him at first or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that's not. You had a bunch of references to Gobbins that apparently weren't what you meant to say. <laughs> no, because what Gobbins did on his own behalf was basically build up this small group of uh, new players into Horde, which now is one of, if not the dominant voice in NCPL. Um, so Horde used to be the little brother. PL didn't even want to participate with Horde on anything. It was NC, the uncle, that was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have you along. Come on, we'll take care of you. And that relationship has totally changed now, and that is a tribute to Gobbin's ability um, to uh, grow that group and also to work in a dynamic that is very, very difficult, right? 
Because growing a group is one thing. Uh, let's say Vili has done that. Let's say Matani has done that. But Gobbins has grown a group inside of uh, a very established area between PL and NC. Not that easy to do. And he's and he's done it. He's done it very well, and he's got himself in a good position there. They could have at many times been destroyed, but uh, they're guided. I think uh, Gobbins' strategy and the FCs that work there uh, for him have done a good job. Okay, let's look at group of the year. You have Trigger Happy, of course. That's Kendar's group up north. Against there, the darlings of Nullsec right now. People really like uh, uh, what's going on there. They don't want to bring attention to themselves because they're having a lot of fun. Um, we also want to highlight Inner Hell. Inner Hell is a wormhole group that is evicting the heck out of <laughs> out of uh, wormhole space right now. Uh, Streamfleet did a number of presentations. What, wasn't Inner Hell also the first one to lose a Keepstar in uh, in wormholes? Like it wasn't really defended, but that might have been. I can't say for sure, but I uh, I think I thought Hard Knocks. So Hard Knocks wasn't the first Keepstar destroyed in wormhole no. space. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, I think, well, as Lord Servants says, I think they were out evicting. Like, like they had already kind of, uh, you know, I guess moved on from that place or whatever, but, but it was there. And I think it was the first keep star in a wormhole to be killed. Uh, not necessarily saying it was the biggest battle or, or anything along those lines. Right. Okay. And then so uh, you also have Streamfleet and you have Korean players, basically, that have come into the group and totally bolstered time zone, which was fascinating to watch. I saw this on here with the Korean players, okay, and I'm, uh, I, I guess I'm glad to see that because of Korean localization and the CCP getting bought by PA and all that kind of stuff, Korean players have come into uh, forefront. I just remember more of a theme of Chinese players this year than, than Korean players. Well, to be fair, though, when, when I was, uh, I, I know that I kind of put uh, this down as one of my picks, but... Um, my pick was based on most valuable organ, uh, like event for Eve Online. So in that regard, I kind of thought it was you know very valuable for the for Eve Online. Okay, so uh, this but year influential. Yeah, this year I think you have to look at uh, and and we probably should have given it to Skill You last year, uh, but Test had done so much in so many different ways. But this year it's going to go to Trigger Happy because they have basically. Uh, Become what people have been interested in. Up in the north there? Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just get the feeling that that needs to play out a little bit longer to show that it is, you know, you know, solidified and it's something that's going to, uh, I don't know, be lasting in some way. Uh, you know, I, I think with what happened, it is my own personal opinion. I think with what happened this year, you got to give it to, you got to give it to uh, Test Legacy um, for, for number one, can, you know, continuing their war throughout the entire drifter menace and the blackout and everything else. I, I think that was the war of the year over there that was going on. And so therefore you've also got to give credit to the other side, you know, for continuing as well, but. It was, but I think that trigger happy is, is, is sparking the imagination of players who are really disillusioned right now. And they uh, are harboring a lot of those players. So I think it's interesting. It is a little bit of bet into the future, which we did uh, the first year we did this with triumvirate. It was a bet into well, uh, into the future. Not, not, not triumvirate, but it was initiative that was. Like, you should have a wishful thinking like category or something there. <laughs> yeah. Last thing is event blackout uh, uh, was a big event that happened. You also had a very interesting fight that happened in O1YED, uh, and that was Snuff versus Dead Coalition, which was the beginning of um, 
some of the blackout changes. It happened during blackout. So it was a big fight during blackout and Snuff got surprised, I think. Uh, so that was interesting to see. You have um, Pittsburgh, uh, an FC for, C for the Imperium that basically was uh, kicked out, but he came back to avenge that by taking out a locust fleet or at least a, a third of it or a half of it. Uh, you had a treaty in faction war, which was interesting. You had Miss Rabbit buying, apparently buying, but that was seemed to be overblown. Uh, um, Miss Rabbit was a Chinese player that bought influence into a group in the north called uh, Range Regiment, another Chinese group. So the very interesting stuff happening on the Chinese side of the game, very interesting. You also saw the death of a Golden Magnet, very rare ship. And of course, you have the brisk expulsion from CSM, which was a big debacle. It almost took down Initiative, which was unbelievable. The big part of that was, it has many levels that it works on, but the big part of that for me was seeing the initiative FCs get taken out. That's essentially a death blow to initiative's power. And they were a big player. They were the player, the uh, uh, Panda was a player of the year last year. So it was a big deal. And then you have the Imperium glassing tribute, which was a big deal, even though it didn't get a lot of coverage because it was kind of a already known that it was going to happen. And what followed that was drifter attacks by CCP. So obviously I think this year we can all agree that the biggest thing that happened was blackout. I don't know. I would say it was the I would say it was the brisk incident. You know why? Because I think it was indicative of a lot of things that happened this year. <laughs> <laughs> the the example. It was like the example of just how messed up some shit was in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> right. The whole the whole community team is gone now. There's new community team. There's a lot of a lot of stuff going on. All right. That's all we have time for today. And we will be back tomorrow to do the second half, five years, 2016 through 2020. I want to thank Elise for hanging out with us early on. He was terrific. I want to thank McLeod for doing all the engineering and talking with us. I want to thank you guys, uh, Dirk McGurk. And of course, thanks to the audience. Any last words, Dirk? Now, just happy new year, everybody. Uh, I don't know walk carefully or whatever it is you're doing tonight. But, uh, you know, here's to uh, looking towards a really good new year and God bless you. or whatever bless, like, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can't even talk right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Too much from coffee. I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> Me too. We gotta go. I am having a beer freeze. So cheers. There you go. Have a great new year's Eve guys. We'll see you at new year's day. Take care from talking in stations. We'll see you next time.